Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to be talking about the racism. That's right, full-on racism that's infecting the education system. On this show, we've talked a lot about how a woke progressive bias has taken control of most schools and how letting leftists run education systems was probably one of the biggest mistakes the right has ever made. But lately, I feel like we've been focusing mainly on how that wokeness manifests specifically around LGBT activist issues. Things like having drag queens reading to toddlers teaching kids there are multiple genders and that you can be fluid between the genders, that type of thing. And while that is a big deal, especially considering that some kids are being put on life-changing hormones because of that, it's not the only area where we see far-left ideology being preached to students as if it were fact and on the taxpayer's dime on top of it. Another area where social justice, of course, as we know, has a lot to say is about race. Here's what I mean. Public service announcement. Excuse me. If y'all didn't know, this is the MSC, and frankly, there's just too many white people in here, and this is a space for people of color. So just be really cognizant of the space that you're taking up because it does make some of us POCs uncomfortable when we see too many white people in here. It's only been open for four days, and frankly, there's the whole university for a lot of y'all to be at, and there's very few spaces for us. So keep that in mind. Thank you. That video was taken at the University of Virginia, and if you have any doubt about how worrying the situation surrounding race is in schools nowadays, just remember, we actually have people, unironically, advocating for racial segregation. And yeah, we know by now that that type of stuff is par for the course on college campuses, but what you may not know is that it actually starts even younger than that. I'm talking about elementary school. So that's what we're going to be going over in this episode. But first, I have some exciting news brought to you by our sponsor, Candid. You guys, it's finally happening. This is the year I'm straightening my teeth with Candid Clear Aligners, and you could be too. Beyond delivering clear aligners directly to your door, Candid treatment also includes remote monitoring by your orthodontist throughout treatment. That means you get the same treatment oversight you'd get by seeing an orthodontist in person, but without the inconvenience office visits all for a fraction of the cost. Unlike braces, candid clear aligners are comfortable, removable, and totally invisible, so you can transform your smile without anyone noticing a thing. Plus, you never have to set foot in a doctor's office or waiting room. Your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist. That means your treatment will be designed by an expert in tooth movement. And if you're looking ahead to wedding season or a special event with candid, the average treatment length is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before then. Learn more about Candid's process and get a complimentary 3D scan of your teeth at a Candid studio near you. Are you ready to take the first step towards straighter teeth? For a limited time, you can get started with $75 off by using code Lauren at candidcode.com slash Lauren. That's candidco.com slash Lauren. Use code Lauren for $75 off. So if you've been paying attention at all to what goes on at colleges, that UVA video would not surprise you. Things like racially segregated housing, for example, have been a staple at universities for years. A lot of colleges do have either all black or all Latino dorms in the name of celebrating diversity by 
ensuring a racially homogenous population. See, that's the type of diversity even the KKK can get on board with. Someone should really call up David Duke and tell him that, hey, did you know if you say it's in the name of social justice, you can actually get minorities to segregate themselves? And I know that sounds racist, but remember, that's, that's not what I want. That's what these activists want. Also, David Duke. And even more than that, did you know that by at least one count, as many as 75 universities host black-only graduation ceremonies? If you don't like the idea of white-only spaces, but you're in favor of black-only spaces, or Latinx-only spaces, or Asian spaces, or whatever the heck it may be, I don't care what kind of progressive mental gymnastics you use to try to justify that to yourself. You're a hypocrite, you're a racist, and you're causing division among people. So please stop. I want all of us to be friends, but that can't happen if you keep telling people that they can't hang out literally because of the color of their skin. And I love, and by the way, by love, I mean hate, how to some people saying stuff like, you should need ID to vote, or you shouldn't move to a different country illegally, is racist, yet saying, you can't come here, you're the wrong race. Well, well, that's just fine. That's anti-racist, actually. And if that video was frustrating, what was even more mind-boggling was the general reaction to it on social media, where a disappointing number of people were coming out in support for actual racial segregation. As this one user indignantly posted, multicultural spaces and buildings were made for POC, and if not made, then fought for. White students at PWIs, which by the way stands for predominantly white institutions, I actually had to look that up, take up a lot of space. When it starts to become cool to occupy spaces that aren't meant for them to begin with, yes, it becomes a problem. What does it even mean to say that white people take up a lot of space? And are we really going into the situation with the already held notion that, yeah, racial segregation is good. If, if there are too many white people hanging out somewhere, other people of different races, they just, they just can't be there with them. Also, how do you unironically say this space was not meant for people of your race and not realize how racist you sound? But she continues that a lot of the effing time study spaces in public places around PWIs are closed off and can only be accessed by students of that college or major. And if the majority of the student body of that college or major are white, no one says anything. Engineering, I'm looking at you. These people are so intellectually inferior and or racist that they honestly cannot tell the difference between engineering students happening to be mostly white and using engineering facilities and creating a building and saying only black people can come here. Like in their minds, those two things are the same but they're not the same. She then laments, my uni exploits and ruins the experiences of POC, mostly black students. Their building barely got renovated last year. Well, at least they have their own building, which is definitely more than we can say for the white students. Plus, I mean, the, the building did still get renovated. The Latinx house and all the other cultural houses are suffering too. Budget cuts left and right, but they have money to fund the engineering and business schools. This person, actually believes that black and Latino students having cultural centers 
is the same thing as the white students having the business and engineering schools. You racist piece of garbage. There are black engineering students and business students and those buildings aren't any less theirs just because they don't belong to the same race as the majority of students. And I'm sure those students would much rather their actual programs of study have funding rather than just some black people hangout spot full of racists. Plus, why do these people even have it in their heads that at a university where they're supposed to be studying Studying, they should be entitled to their own buildings for every ethnicity except for white. When and why did that even become a thing? And we have more to cover, but before we do, I have a quick message from our sponsor, Quip. Quip, the makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, want you to know the one single discovery that matters most for your dental care. It's simply this, that if you have good habits, you're good. That means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use. Quip makes that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. And the Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. Plus, Quip delivers a fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills to your every three months with free shipping so your routine is always right. So join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash chen right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash chen. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash chen. Quip, the good habits company. Considering the type of classes that are taught at colleges, classes that try to paint white people as the most evil influence throughout history and that seem almost as if they're specifically designed to incite racial tensions, it makes sense that this is the rhetoric surrounding race that we see at colleges. But as I mentioned before, you'd be wrong if you thought the stuff was just limited to colleges. As CBC News has reported, one BC school district came under fire after launching what they're calling an anti racism campaign. Back in 2018, they wrote, posters addressing racism and white privilege have popped up in some BC schools, raising concerns among some parents. The posters feature phrases such as, got privilege, and if you don't have to think about it, it's a privilege. They feature quotes from district administrators on their experiences with privilege and racism. Teresa Downs, the superintendent for School District 74, said teaching students about racism and privilege is nothing new in the district. Educators have been teaching kids about it for years. The dialogue is certainly not new in Gold Trail. The posters are what's new. One of the posters features a picture of Downs, who is a white woman, alongside the quote, I have unfairly benefited from the color of my skin. White privilege is not acceptable. Another features the image of a different white woman with the quote, I lose an opportunity if I don't confront racism. And a poster of a photograph of a non-white woman features the quote, I have felt racism. Have you? Got it. White people have white privilege and need to confront racism and non-white people experience racism. Sounds good. Thanks, BC. To be clear, people aren't mad about an anti-racism campaign, which is how the school district repeatedly referred to those posters. If a school were to launch a campaign simply saying, hey, let's treat everyone equally, let's get to know people and not judge them based solely on their skin color, that wouldn't be a controversial thing. Most people would be on board with that. What people are actually mad at is a campaign that paints white people exclusively as either being complicit in or the perpetrators 
of racism. They're not actually trying to fix any problems with these campaigns, they're just trying to air their grievances, which is so frustrating because I feel like not only are these activists misrepresenting things, their supposed solution would actually just make things worse anyway. Do you want to further racial harmony and equality, or do you want to target a specific race for supposed bad behavior? You can't do both. Next up, as the New York Post describes, a white privilege survey was strangely posted in a mostly minority school in Manhattan. The survey, titled White Privilege Exercise, asks students whether they can be in the company of people of their race most of the time, can go into most supermarkets and find the staple foods which fit into my racial slash ethnic traditions, and can be pretty sure that if they ask to talk to the person in charge, they will be facing a person of their race. Among other questions, and strangely enough, as the post also explains, the East 96th Street School where this survey was found, quote, has 520 high school students who are 3% white and a 54-student middle school that's just 2% white. Only 24% of the middle schoolers met state standards on English tests, while the results in math were even more dismal, with just 13% meeting state standards. In the high school, a mere 16% of students were able to pass college prep or career prep courses and exams, and 36% graduated college ready for the CUNY system. Considering that there are so few white people in that school and that the students' test results are so ridiculously terrible, maybe whoever's running that school should worry a little bit less about white privilege and a little bit more about things like math, reading, you know, the things school used to be about. And if you think it's inappropriate to teach racial grievance theories to high schoolers and middle schoolers, then boy, are you not gonna like what's coming next. As Katrina Schwartz writes in the article Teaching Six-Year-Olds About Privilege and Power, quote, on a sunny day in April, I drove to Hedroy School in the hills of Oakland, California, of course, Oakland, to join Circle Time in Brett Turner's first grade classroom. I had asked Turner if I could sit in on some lessons after reading an article he wrote describing how he teaches about some surprising topics, like race and class, in an elementary school classroom. After students sang a song to welcome each other to a new day of learning, went over the schedule and played a quick movement game, Turner settled his six-year-olds on the rug for a discussion about homelessness. What do we know about what causes homelessness? What causes people to be pushed down rather than lifted up? Turner asked the class. Because when I see that half of homeless people in Alameda County are black, that doesn't make sense to me when I first look at it. It doesn't seem fair to me. And then I start to think there must be some reasons. What are some of those reasons? It was clear his students were used to this type of question. They immediately started throwing out ideas. I think why African-American people end up on the street is because they lose jobs because people were treating them badly, and then they end up on the street with no home, said one girl. Some people might also be homeless if they try to apply for jobs, but they keep getting denied because of the color of their skin, suggested a boy. Turner and his students have been discussing all year long how power and privilege are built into all aspects of society. On discussing racism in his class, Turner said, All of the evidence, both academic and anecdotal, that I've ever seen suggests that you actually have to talk to kids about it. And if you don't, you are unfortunately perpetuating the idea that it is not to be talked about, that white privilege is off limits, that racism has been solved. I don't think anyone needs to hear about white privilege, but that's especially true for six-year-olds. I want six-year-olds to be able to play with friends of all different colors and learn that the most important thing about a person is their character, their behavior, not 
their skin color. But they can't do that when their heads are being filled with divisive anti-white propaganda. It seems like any discussion of racism in schools now centers around whiteness and the conflation of racism with whiteness and white people and the white experience and how white people are just out there to discriminate against anyone who's not white. And as bad as all of the stuff we've gone over is, one of the most worrying examples of race baiting in schools that I've ever heard of is some Something called Black Lives Matter at school. Black Lives Matter, as you guys will know if you've seen our videos on them, is a far-left racial identitarian movement. It's not just against unfair police brutality, and it hasn't been for a long time. And I know some people might even go so far as to say that it was never just about that, but today, we're here to talk about education specifically. And actually, I was clued into this story by a YouTuber, one of my favorite YouTubers. His name is Sean and his channel is called Actual Justice Warrior. If you guys aren't subscribed to him yet, you really need to be. His stuff is amazing. But as the Black Lives Matter at School site explains about its history, during the 2017 to 2018 school year, from February 5th to 9th, Thousands of educators, again, activists, around the U.S. wore Black Lives Matter shirts to school and taught lessons about structural racism, intersectional Black identities, Black history, and anti-racist movements for a nationally organized week of action, Black Lives Matter at school. Educators, no, activists in over 20 cities participated in this national uprising to affirm the lives of Black students, teachers, and families, including Seattle, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, New York City, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and beyond. Since then, Black Lives Matter at school has only grown, and if you look on social media, you'll see that tons of schools have posted photos of their own Black Lives Matter at school sessions for 2020. And Black Lives Matter at school offers a ton of teaching materials and lesson plans on their site because, of course, they want people to join in and even for something under the umbrella of Black Lives Matter, it is shockingly ideological. They offer material from early childhood, yes, that early, to high school, which literally promotes the Black Panthers and is supposed to be built around the guiding principles of Black Lives Matter that include things like restorative justice, diversity, globalism, collective value, Black villages, which they describe as the disruption of Western nuclear family dynamics, black women, and being unapologetically black. If you want to learn more about Black Lives Matter in school, check out Sean's video, but if there's anything to take away from this episode, it's that A, if it's possible for you to homeschool your children, you should probably do that. B, the parents who can't homeschool their children need to be more outraged that this is happening, and C, these people, these activists masquerading as educators, they're not healing race relations, they're hurting them. That's pretty much all I have to say though, and as always, I would love to know what you guys think. How do we get schools under control and what can we do to genuinely bring people together instead of tearing them apart? Let me know, but that's it for now. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time.